Welcome to Why I Vaccinate, presented by the Franny Strong Foundation and the Michigan Department of Health and Human Services. I'm Ann Thomas, and I'm here with my co-host, Veronica McNally. And Veronica, we've got a great show on tap. We do. Today, we're talking about catching up on childhood vaccines, and we're joined by Bob Watson and Terry Adams for a discussion about Michigan's vaccination rates, catching up on childhood diseases, to stay ahead of them with Drs. Smitherman and Young. And finally, the importance of the meningitis B vaccine with Alicia Stillman, founder of the Emily Stillman Foundation. An interesting and informative show coming up next. to Why I Vaccinate, presented by the Franny Strong Foundation and the Michigan Department of Health and Human Services. I'm Ann Thomas, and I am here with my co-host, Veronica McNally. And Veronica, we have two great guests to start off this show today. First of all, we have Bob Swanson, the former director of the Michigan Division of Immunizations. And we are also joined by Terry Adams. She's a registered nurse, and she's the interim director of the Michigan Division of immunizations. Thank you both for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you. And Bob, let's start out with you. You had this job as the head of the Michigan Division of Immunizations for 33 years. Talk a little bit about the history of childhood vaccines. Well, I think childhood vaccines have really grown in importance because we now protect children and adults against so many vaccine preventable diseases that we weren't able to before. So we've added new vaccines to the schedule to be able to protect people from these very, very serious diseases and prevent them from getting ill or even um, dying. And so it's a, it, 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 the, even since I've been with the program or was with the program, it has grown tremendously. Just so our listeners have some history and background on childhood vaccines in Michigan, can you just explain what are the required vaccines right now in this state in 2021? So there, the, I think it's important to note that we do require some vaccines for childcare and for school. But that doesn't mean that we shouldn't look at the vaccines that are recommended across the board for all children. So the the vaccines that we require for school are diphtheria, tetanus, pertussis vaccine, polio, hepatitis B, measles, mumps, rubella, varicella, and pneumococcal for for childcare. But there's other vaccines that are very, very important, such as hepatitis A and HPV vaccine that we should all be getting uh, to be sure that we're fully immunized as well as the annual flu vaccine. And this question can be for for Terry or Bob. Michigan was one of the first in the nation to create an immunization registry to help providers protect their patients through reliable records. Talk a little bit about Michigan's role in this. This is pretty impressive. Well, Bob really was one of the founders in our uh, Michigan registry. It's a Michigan Care Improvement Registry, and um, it is so vital to um, collecting the immunization data throughout our state, and providers really have grown to depend on this registry. Um, We use it um, on our daily basis now more than ever with our COVID vaccinations to collect that information as well. And as you know, um, it has grown throughout the state and many other states now really look at our registry and think, wow, I wish we had that in our state. But we use it um, 
so that providers, no matter where a child, adolescent, or adult goes throughout our state for health care, they can access that registry and find out if this person has been vaccinated, if they need vaccines, if they're up to date, um, and so that a person doesn't get over vaccinated or to make sure that they're up to date with their immunization. So it's vital. It really is vital and it has proven to be beneficial over and over again and again. And so we're so thankful that providers use this. They can use it with their electronic medical record. Health systems are using it. Um, we populate it with our electronic birth records. So it's there from the start. And um, it's just really, really grown to be such a great benefit for our state. And Veronica, I know you have questions for our guests, so I'll let you take it from here. Terry, can you tell parents how they can get a copy of that record for their children? so important. Um, they can get a copy of their immunization record from their healthcare provider. First of all, all they have to do is ask. Healthcare providers have access to our immunization registry. They can also get it through their local health department. And then their last resort is to contact us at MDHHS and um, prove that they are the parent and we can um, get that to them through mail. Uh, but that is um, a cumbersome process, but we can certainly do it. But their healthcare provider would be their first resource for sure. We've gone through, I think I would phrase it as maybe stages in Michigan where we've had lower immunization rates and much higher immunization rates. So let's just talk about that for a minute. When we are at a high point of vaccination rates for children. What, what would you attribute that to? What efforts? I think it's a, a combination of efforts. It's certainly not MDHHS doing it alone. We certainly support and encourage immunizations throughout the state for parents, but it's really provider effort, local health department effort, uh, parents understanding the importance of vaccinations, um, community effort. Um, but it's a it's a group effort. Um, but we have to understand the importance of getting kids vaccinated, uh, adolescents vaccinated, so they go through their adulthood protected. Um, but adults need vaccinations as well. So it's a lifelong process. Uh, immunizations don't stop when we become adults. Um, but knowing the importance of going back to school this fall in person, we have to get our kids protected if we want to get back to normal. And part of that is getting vaccinated. So right now we are at an all time low for our immunization rates. We are at um, 69.3 for immunization rates. In a year and a half ago, when we began this pandemic, we were at 73.6. So that's a huge decrease for our immunization rates. Really concerning if we want to get kids back to normal and back in school. Um, so we have to work throughout the summer. Parents need to make appointments now because they're going to fill up um, to get appointments and get kids back into their provider offices and get them back um, on schedule and up to date. Um, we have to work together, MDHHS, local health departments, provider offices, community health centers, all of us to get kids back on track. So, so important. Well, you mentioned that vaccination rate, and I don't think that everybody understands the significance of that number when we're talking about the ability for a disease to spread in a community. Can you talk about community immunity and threshold levels necessary to prevent the spread of disease? 
when we talk about a community immunity, we're talking about um, herd effect, and we need a certain level of protection across the community before disease can spread easily. And with measles especially, we're especially concerned because we need a high rate of that number or that protection before um, measles will spread. And right now we don't have that. We have a very low level of protection for measles in our children, especially school age or preschool levels. And we're extremely concerned that we will have a measles outbreak in children. We had a measles outbreak recently in, a, in the few years past of adults. And um, that spread quite quickly amongst unvaccinated adults. And if we have an outbreak amongst children in unvaccinated children, that's very concerning because measles can be serious amongst children. And um, we need a very high level of protection among children, around 95 to 98%. And we only have around 80% protection right now in our children. So that's a very low, low number for children to be vaccinated, to have that level of protection. And Bob can speak to this too. We're extremely concerned in Michigan about that number. I, I think that one of the reasons why uh, sometimes levels dip is because of misinformation in a community. People have maybe some thoughts that they've heard from from family members or media, and they're not really sure what to do with the information. And so they go online. And when they get online, there is not always a high quality uh, level of information. And that can be a problem. So I wonder, Bob, if you can talk about sort of the dangers of misinformation and where people could go for good quality information when they have questions about vaccines. Absolutely. Yes, misinformation, I think, is a huge cause of uh, under vaccination where individuals don't get vaccinated because they have they don't have the, the right information about vaccines. The, the short of it is vaccines are very safe and they're effective and they do the job of preventing disease. So if you are, if you do have questions about vaccines, I strongly encourage several resources that you can go to. One would be CDC. You could go to CDC to, to look at their resources that they have. Those are scientific fact-based resources. The Michigan Department of Health and Human Services has a lot of resources available. But um, most importantly, and I, I think uh, right now, a very good resource is iVaccinate. Um, iVaccinate.org is a website that has fact-based immunization information. It's uh, there to support parents on their decision-making uh, about vaccines and the importance of vaccines. So I would strongly encourage going to iVaccinate.org. And Bob, you've got so much history with regard to vaccines. Why do you think we are seeing a decreased number of people getting vaccinations for their children? Right now, I think, uh, well, so we just touched on a big point is that there's misinformation, I think, about vaccines and, and people really need to make an effort not just to believe what they're reading online uh, unless it's a credible source and they need to go to credible sources. But also, I think COVID has really played a huge role in why our rates are low right now. Uh, a lot of parents quit going to their uh, well child visits for their children and even their own visits for vaccines. And uh, so our rates have dropped off tremendously due to COVID. We really need to, as Terry talked about, 
put a strong effort into increasing our immunization rates, getting those rates back so that we have that community immunity that Veronica talked about to be sure that we can't spread the disease within the community and, and others will protect others from the disease if they're not immune for whatever reason. But that rate needs to be high. And Bob, what role does the anti-vaccination movement play in all of this? Well, I think it plays a big role because uh, they propagate many times misinformation. And uh, that's not uh, a, a good thing for, for us. Um, we need to make sure that the information that's being talked about is credible, that it's science-based, and it's factual. And uh, some of the information that we see going around is not always that that way. And so um, when that information is pushed out, it only gets into the wrong hands and uh, people then don't get vaccinated. Our community needs to have strong confidence in vaccination. It is a very safe and effective tool that we have to prevent diseases. So uh, people need to take advantage of those credible websites like iVaccinate.org. Bob Swanson, former director of the Michigan Division of Immunizations, and Terry Adams, director, interim director of the Michigan Division of Immunizations. Thank you for your time today and for the really great information. We appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. You are listening to Why I Vaccinate. Coming up next, we are going to talk with two doctors working every day to make sure their patients are vaccinated and have the information they need to make informed decisions. We'll be back right after this. listening to Why I Vaccinate. I'm Ann Thomas, and I'm here with my co-host, Veronica McNally, and we now welcome two doctors to the segment of the show. We have Dr. Rachel Young, a family physician, and we also have Dr. Lynn Smitherman, a pediatrician. Doctors, thank you for being here. We really appreciate the time. Thanks for having us. So first question I'm going to address to Dr. Rachel Young. Uh, Dr. Young, talk to us a little bit about the advice that you're giving as a family physician with regard to Michigan's childhood vaccinations and people getting vaccinations this summer to get their, to get themselves and their children ready for school. Thank you. So, you know, we have noticed at our clinic over the past year that our um, well child checks as well as our adult physicals have dropped off by about 50%, which has been very alarming for us. And so we've made a real conscious effort over the past six months to reach out to any patient who is falling behind and make sure that we get them scheduled. As one of your guests mentioned earlier, you know, schedules are filling up. We are booking out six to eight weeks with all of our physicians in our clinic for these physicals to get caught up with immunization schedules. So, you know, we highly recommend that people are coming back into the office. We've made lots of efforts to make it safe um, for everyone to come back in and be seen and to get caught up on their vaccines. We still have the same recommendations that we did prior to the pandemic, which is that we want everybody to become vaccinated, um, ideally on the recommended schedule. Dr. Lynn Smitherman, same question for you as a pediatrician. What are you seeing? What are you telling your parents and the children? 
Exactly. And my concern is that with children going to school face to face this fall, uh, many of them have not come in over the last year and a half because of concerns of exposure to the COVID-19 virus. So I'm encouraging everybody to come in. We're located in Detroit, Michigan. And as you probably know, the vaccination rates in Detroit are lower than the rest of the state, hovering maybe around 50%. So we're very concerned. Last fall, actually, we did have a drive-through vaccine campaign um, in the parking lot where our office is located so that people could get um, caught up then. And we plan to do the same thing this fall as well. Call ahead of time, get in your cars, drive through, we'll vaccinate, and then you can keep going, similar to what they're doing with the COVID-19 vaccines. So Dr. Smitherman, let's address this issue of Detroiters being concerned about the vaccine. What are you saying to them and how can you help them become less fearful about this vaccine and really in reality, all vaccines? All vaccines, and it is an ongoing problem. Um, I First of all, I, I lead them to credible resources um, such as the Centers for Disease Control, uh, the Michigan Department of Human uh, Health, uh, Health and Human Services, website, also the American Academy of Pediatrics, the National Medical Association, and the American American Medical Association all have really good information. But the other thing I tell them, though, is my own experience. I raised two children in the city. I vaccinated them. Um, And a lot of times there's a trust factor there. And I think if I can establish a level of trust with my patients and their parents and let them know my own experience and how valuable I think immunizations are, They tend to take that information, absorb it a little bit better, accept it a little bit better, and many times go ahead and vaccinate their children. And Dr. Rachel Young, I see you shaking your head (laughs) that you agree with this completely. Talk a little bit about your experience. How can you get parents and everybody back on track with, with regard to getting their exams and getting their vaccinations? Yes, I think, you know, a big part of it, um, as the director said, is just starting with empathy, just connecting with your patient, um, building that relationship. And that's the wonderful thing about being in primary care is that for a lot of our patients, we do have these longer relationships and this trust that's built. So I know that when we get to have those conversations and share stories and share information together, that patients tend to uh, feel confident. They, they want to know what their doctor has to say. So it is really important that we we take the time to stop and have those conversations um, and answer questions. So I encourage my patients that are hesitant to, as, um, as she said, go check out the resources, do your research, come back, spend some time with me, let's talk about it some more if we have hesitation, and um, let's do what's best. I also think it's important to let them know that just like they want to, I want to protect their child, um, and that we're on the same page. We both want the best for their child, um, and we may have a different approach in how to get there. But oftentimes, um, we'll find that patients are willing to change their mind on it once they have that confidence. And really that comes from having credible resources. Um, I too share some of my personal experiences, for example, with the HPV vaccine. I like to let them know that um, you know, I've seen cases of cancer showing up in teenagers um, related to HPV, and that's very scary for me. Um, and I don't want to see that happen to their child. Um, I also talk about how I lost my um, aunt at the age of 33 to chickenpox because the vaccine was not available at that time. 
and that these diseases are not just out there in uh, the nebulous. These are real and they are affecting people and they are changing people's um, lives. So, you know, again, I think the stories are great. The connection is great. And just meeting them where they are and uh, letting them know that it's not bad for them to question. It's absolutely appropriate for them to have questions and to just help them find those answers. And Veronica, we're both parents. And I think we both would agree that the personal stories and the reassurance that everything is going to be fine, that the side effects are no big deal if there's any at all, um, that, you know, both doctors are giving great advice with regard to um, parents feeling more comfortable getting vaccines. Oh, I, I couldn't agree more. I think that the approach that a provider takes in communicating with a parent or a patient makes all the difference in the world. And I do, I want to just follow up on that for both of our, our guests here today and talk about the importance from your perspective of that strong provider recommendation and whether you think in, in research or in your own personal experience, if that strong recommendation makes the difference in, in whether or not the patient will receive the vaccine. Um, I personally think so. And I've been around long enough, again, to see a lot of the diseases that these vaccines protect against. So I've seen homophilus influenza and I've seen disseminated pneumococcal infections and I've seen kids come into the hospital and not come out. And so I share that experience with my parents um, and, and um, the families and just say, listen, you know, if I have in my arsenal something to prevent the death or long-term disability of a child, I'm all for advocating that that be done. And I understand that some people still have some hesitancy even with that, but I, you know, I, I have no problem sitting down, uh, discussing it, having them come back, not rushing them into making a decision. Um, and sometimes, you know, just that time and that thought um, gives them an, um, the opportunity to really kind of think through things and then eventually they do come back and agree to get vaccinated. Yeah, keeping that uh, dialogue open, you know, just letting them know that even though they're not maybe willing to vaccinate today, doesn't mean that we aren't going to bring it up every time they come in and we aren't going to keep that conversation going. And I've had parents ask me that before. Well, we've talked about this. Why are you telling me this again? I'm like, I'm going to tell you every time um, <laughs> because I think it's really important. And um, I'm going to keep this conversation going because um, people sometimes, you know, most of the time I find are willing to change, even if it's on a delayed schedule mm -hmm. or, you know, doing one vaccine at a time. Most parents, in my experience, are willing to get on board. They just need to get there um, and they need the, the time to build that confidence. And so, again, as we build our relationship in care of their child, um, hopefully that confidence in vaccination also increases. When you are talking to a hesitant parent or a hesitant patient, talk about some of the concerns they're raising and, and what some of the points are that you're that you're providing to them so that they can have all the information in front of them. Um, some of the um concerns that are raised, well, we don't see these diseases anymore. You know, we don't see polio anymore. We don't see diphtheria anymore. And I mentioned, and that's because of vaccines. Um, but however, you know, um, we, you know, still have open borders. We have people coming in from other areas of the world. And in those areas, some of those diseases are still rampant. And so, you know, we are getting some of these live infections in. I also uh, tell them that, you know, 
immunizations are not always 100 percent. And so even though somebody might be vaccinated, there can be an exposure during a vulnerable period where they can get that infection as well. And then there are the conspiracy theories and, you know, it's not safe or it causes autism, you know, and all of those other things. Um, I remember that study that linked autism to the MMR vaccine had been refuted, but unfortunately it had gone viral. It was only based on four cases that were, and it was an anecdotal study. It had nothing to do with autism. It had something to do with the gastrointestinal system. Um, and again, you know, because, you know, these things kind of get out and then become urban legends, um, unfortunately, people that are really into conspiracy theories latch on to it. So I just provide, again, um, information, scientific information, personal experience, give them time to think about it um, and hope that they eventually do come around. Doctors, I think that parents are, are always weighing the risks and benefits of activities for their kids. And obviously when we're talking about vaccination, they, they are making that same risk benefit analysis. Can you talk about some of the safety systems that are in place and the process that um, the CDC goes through in, in making that risk benefit analysis for all vaccines? So the AICP is a group of scientists, doctors, and health professionals that are meeting on a regular basis multiple times per year to review any existing vaccines or new vaccines. And when they look at the research, they make recommendations for the vaccination schedule. And then this is the schedule that the CDC um, provides to the public and recommends. And that's recommended on that schedule, not only because it's effective, but also because it's been deemed safe um, for children at those ages. The main things that they're looking at is the risk of the child contracting the disease and also the potential side effects from those disease being a higher risk at certain age groups. They're also looking at the immune response. And so when we vaccinate at certain ages, we're confirming that we're going to get a good and reliable response from that vaccination and adequate protection. So, you know, these recommendations are made for a reason. A lot of patients ask me, well, why can't I just do it on a delay? And I think the important thing to know is that those delayed schedules haven't been researched and we don't know if your child will have the same immune response. Um, and so that's one concern. And the second piece is that they may not be protected during their most vulnerable times to catch these infections. As you know well, right, Veronica, with whooping cough or other things, you know, if these happen in really small people, um, that their risk is much greater. So it's very important that um, we have those conversations with parents about why going on schedule is important. And finally, Dr. Smitherman, I just want to touch on the COVID vaccine. What are you saying to parents with regard to have, making sure their kids get the vaccine if they're able to, if they're old enough, and returning to school? Everybody's probably talking about this. Yes, it is. And it, and it is a battle. It is a challenge. Um, again, because of what has been in the media over the last year and a half about the vaccine, um, the safetyness, how quickly it was rushed to um, get into the arms of people. And, um, and so I say a few things. I say, first of all, children are going back to school face to face. They've been kind of isolated. They need this. And it's not just from a health a physical health standpoint, it's for a mental health standpoint only. We've seen um, cases of mental health illnesses over the last year and a half, especially in our teenagers and our young adults that have been isolated. This is not normal for them. And so this is one step to get that 
them back into some sense of normality. So that's very important. The other thing is that now that we've got our older people vaccinated and, and safe, that now, you know, this the younger ones that we're worried about, and they're going to be in contact with each other. So they are now our highly vulnerable group in terms of getting the COVID-19 um, infection. And so some people say, well, young people don't get it as bad as others. Well, you need to sit in the lobby at Children's Hospital of Michigan and talk to some of those parents, because all it takes is for one child to get sick and go in the hospital and not come out to really change somebody's mind. So yeah, the majority of children will do okay, but some don't. And you can't predict who's going to do well and who's not. So why not get everybody protected just to be on the safe side? And it's everybody. It doesn't matter if you have a chronic illness or you're completely healthy. You just don't know. And even though I'm fully vaccinated, I still make sure that I keep my distance and I wear my mask because the majority of my patients cannot be vaccinated, number one. I don't know whether or not I don't want to carry disease to somebody else. And then it's simply out of respect, respect for the entire community. Because if I'm demonstrating the appropriate things to do to stay safe, hopefully other people will uh, pick up on that. Dr. Lynn Smitherman and Dr. Rachel Young, thank you so much for your time and your expertise today. We really appreciate it. Thank you. Coming up next, a conversation about adding the meningitis B vaccine to the schedule. You are listening to Why I Vaccinate. We'll be back right after these messages. McNally, we now welcome Alicia Stillman, the founder of the Emily Stillman Foundation. She's also the co-founder of the Meningitis B Action Project. And Emily, thank you for joining us today. I want you to start out and just tell our listeners why you started the foundation. So I started the Emily Stillman Foundation after I lost my 19-year-old completely healthy daughter to meningitis B in 2013. She was a college student, a sophomore at the Kalamazoo College, and she called home one night with a headache. And I thought she was overtired. I thought she was coming down with the flu. She thought she was overtired. And we decided she would take Motrin and um, we would talk in the morning. During the night, she was taken to the hospital. And it turns out um, within 30 hours, she was brain dead. My daughter had been vaccinated with the vaccine we used in the United States at that time and still do, the men ACWY vaccine. But in 2013, the men B vaccine was not yet licensed in the United States. So it was not available to protect my daughter. But it is now. So there are two types of vaccines. Can you talk a little bit about those two vaccines? Yes. So there is one vaccine. It is a quadrivalent vaccine. Um, It can be referred to as the quadrivalent, um, the men ACWY vaccine, and it protects against serogroups A, C, W, and Y. Until 2014, we did not have a vaccine licensed to protect against serogroup B. Serogroup B is responsible for all college outbreaks in the United States since 2011. It's responsible for over 50% of the cases among adolescents and young adults in the United States. So in the United States now, in order to be completely protected 
um, against all preventable strains of meningococcal disease, they, the young adults and young people must be responsible to get the men ACWY vaccine and a men B vaccine. The men ACWY vaccine is given at age 11 with a booster dose at 16 or 17. The men B vaccine can be given at age 16 to 23. There are two different manufacturers. They're both two dose series. So Veronica, now I understand why you felt so strongly about making sure that this message gets out to our listeners. Take it from here, Veronica. I think that the first thing I, I want to talk about is how sorry I am for Alicia's loss. I, I continue to hear the story, and every time when I hear it, my heart breaks because you you just should never have had to go through this. So please, please know that my heart is just continuing to ache for you. When Thank you. when yes, when parents go into the provider office and they talk about the meningitis vaccine. Can you elaborate on on when else they might want to be considering this? In other words, is camp um, somewhere that they, they might want to be thinking about it? And if they're traveling and they're just a little bit older, should they be thinking about the meningitis B vaccine? So my opinion is absolutely. You know, but we're having a hard enough time getting our providers to routinely talk about the men B vaccine within the age groups of the recommendation to begin with. So my opinion, if I had a child going to camp, if I had a child involved in sports and close contact, absolutely. But right now, the, you know, the recommendation for ACWY is that they will be vaccinated at, the, at these particular intervals. And for men B, the recommendation is may. And that's really a key word that is creating a huge barrier for coverage. And it is a shared clinical decision to be made between a provider and a patient and their parent. And that is creating so much misunderstanding that that is an additional barrier. So there's so many barriers that we're facing and we work with within our organization to achieve coverage within the 16 to 23 year old age group as it is. Um, my hope and dream is we get comprehensive coverage among all age groups. And I think it's really important for, for parents to hear that because, you know, we, we go into the provider office with our children and there's a lot we don't know. Right. We were we were not experts and trained in this information. And so, Alicia, what resources do you provide to parents to educate them about this meningitis B vaccine? So the Meningitis B Action Project has fabulous resources that are utilized around the country in provider offices, on college campuses, in, in medical systems all over um, the country. There are posters, there are videos, there are um, brochures addressed to the young people to start to take charge of their own health care as well as to the parents. And we strongly recommend using those resources to educate themselves because many people 
don't know to ask the questions. Many parents don't know to ask the question. So when my daughter contracted Men B, there wasn't the vaccine available that could have protected her. However, there is now, but young people are still dying because they don't know. And education is key. You know, we're creating um, an inequitable situation. We're creating a situation of knowledge and knowledge knots. Mm -hmm. And and in the United States of America in 2021, that's just not okay. Everybody needs to be aware. Everybody needs to have access to this vaccine. And you mentioned that there's two different manufacturers. Can you talk about how the manufacturer doses um, are not interchangeable? In other words, Patients who get the first dose from one manufacturer need to get that second dose from the same manufacturer. That's completely correct. They work differently. So GSK makes one called Bixero, and the protocol is um, you get your first vaccine, and then the second vaccine is 30 days later. And Pfizer makes one called Trumemba. True Menba, and on that one, it is a six-month interval. And yes, whichever one you start with, you need to complete. And and in addition to that, it's very important because the protocol has not yet been determined. If there is an outbreak on a college campus and they may want a booster dose at that point, it's very possible that you will need the same one you started with so you're not starting fresh. So that knowledge and and those records really need to be kept up to date and in a school system with a parent, they need to have awareness of which vaccine they received. So Alicia, why aren't the providers doing more with regard to this? So the Meningitis B Action Project did a study on that to find out why. We know they're not because there was a study that was published in pediatrics. We know they're not in the majority of cases, a large volume of cases. We know that they are not. So we wanted to know why. So the reasons that that we determined were either they're not thinking it's important enough if it's not recommended at the university. It is not a common disease and that they don't understand the ACIP recommendations. They don't understand it. So what is a shared clinical decision? You know, and so they don't bring it up. But I've even been told, look, I have X amount of time when I walk into a provider room to talk about the vaccines that have a 100% recommendation. I don't have time to talk about the optional vaccines. And I just look at them and I say optional. My daughter's life wasn't optional. No. Alicia Stillman, founder of the Emily Stillman Foundation and the co-founder of the Meningitis B Action Project. Thank you for sharing your story. Thank you for having me. It is really admirable what you are doing. Just a wonderful public service for our listeners. So we really appreciate it. Thank you. You've been listening to Why I Vaccinate, presented by the Franny Strong Foundation and the Michigan Department of Health and Human Services. I'm Ann Thomas, and on behalf of my co-host, Veronica McNally, thank you for listening, and we hope you have a great day.